Hello, Crossing Church. We're so glad you're here this weekend. Can you keep that applause going as we welcome our South Shore campus and our Plant City campus tuning in today and everyone watching online and everyone here at the Tampa campus. We're so glad you came this weekend to church. Well, before I go anywhere, I want to thank our lead pastors, Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara. Pastor Greg is, is recovering well, and uh, he'll be back very soon. And I always appreciate the opportunity they give me to teach on this stage. So can you give them your appreciation and tell them how much you love them? We love you guys. Thank you so much. So we're in a series called Busy Signal. If you came last weekend, you heard Pastor Richard actually play a busy signal for you. How many remember actually what that sounds like? Old enough to I remember that too. How many of you remember this, and I'm dating myself, but do you remember a star 66, the busy signal fix? <laughs> Nobody, one, I have one witness, thank you. I remember growing up, again, I'm dating myself, but I remember you do star 66 and it will just keep calling a phone number until they pick up and then it'll call you back and then you'll get through the busy signal. It was a crazy service, again, we don't have need for that today, but you know, we have a different kind of busy signals today. Pastor Richard last week talked about, you know, you get sent to voicemail. Nobody loves that. But maybe you've had this experience when you're texting a friend or a family member. And, you know, they got those red receipts turned on, right? And you're texting that friend like, hey, what you doing? What are, you, are you alive? Hello? And you're like, you read this 20 minutes ago. What's going on? Anybody identify, right? It's not a great feeling where you know it was red and they haven't responded yet. You know, you wonder what's going on. And, you know, sometimes we can also feel like that maybe even in our prayer life. You know, maybe you feel like you're trying to talk to God and you're struggling with something. And you're like, you know, I haven't read my Bible. I know I haven't prayed, but are you there? Are you still listening? Hello. And you know he hears you, but you haven't heard a response yet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We all have those times in our lives where we feel like we are praying and we're asking, we're seeking God, but we don't hear anything. We're not sure what's going on or, or what God is doing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in the Busy Signal series is how we trust God during those times when it's no response, when it seems to be silent. And I want to use this story from the Bible in John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. And now if you've been to church any amount of time, you've probably heard of Lazarus in John chapter 11. He's the guy that died and then four days later Jesus rose him from the dead. And it's this beautiful story, and it's great to celebrate that. There's a part of the story that we sometimes gloss over, and that's what I want to focus on today. And so if we read from John chapter 11, starting with verse 1, it says this. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. You may remember her, the alabaster box. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him to Jesus, said, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, now watch this, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And if you go back to that verse, he stayed two days after he heard what was going on. It's like if you saw that text was read two days ago and you're still waiting for a response. They know Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He can do whatever he wants. They know he could heal Lazarus. And yet he waits two days to come and help. 
And what happens when he arrives? We jump to verse 32 in that same chapter. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in the spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And we have the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It's two simple words. Jesus wept. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, even he wept. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your spirit is here today. We pray that you minister to all of us. Father, I pray that we hear your voice and we feel your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up in New York. Anybody from New York here? Hey, come on, somebody. And... Um, I grew up in church. I had a, a lovely parents, God following, and so I grew up in church my entire life. It was all the greatest hits of a church kid, right? I was in youth group, I was leading worship, and all I knew was church. We were there whenever it was open, whether it was Sunday morning and night and Wednesday night, Friday youth group, we were there all the time. And so I couldn't even tell you when I was saved because I was just always saved, I guess. And uh, I grew up Pentecostal, so I did get saved every weekend, you know, <laughs> just to be sure. But growing up in church, you know, I never doubted anything. And then I felt called to ministry. And so I came down to Florida and I went to a Christian college because I believed I was going to lead worship. And so I was studying to lead worship and things were going okay. And then between my freshman and sophomore year, there was a series of events that kind of rocked my boat a little bit. I had a, a bad breakup and then my grandmother died and I was far away from friends and family. And, and I just started having these questions like, what, what's going on? Like, I, I have these doubts and feelings, and I started asking God, like, what's going on? And I didn't hear anything. It was that red but no response. And then my mind went a little further, and I said, do you even love me? Do you not love me enough to, to talk to me, to tell me what's going on? And I started drifting away. I, I left that Christian college, and again, let me tell you, even a Christian college, you can lose your faith there too. And, and I left, and I went back to New York, and I studied business, and I just, I didn't want anything to do with, with God. I, I didn't want to care. I, didn't, I wanted him to tell me audibly, I love you, and I never heard it. And said, I said, no, I, I'm done with this. And so I left. I left, the, I left the faith. And I would say that I don't know why this happened, but I know why. It's because I had praying parents, and they were praying for me during this time. And out of nowhere, seemingly, I picked up the Bible that I had used throughout my entire adolescence, the Bible that I used in youth group, the Bible that I had read my whole life. And I didn't know why, I didn't know where to turn, I didn't know what scripture to look up, so I just opened it. And again, still thinking, like, God, do you really love me? And I turned to this verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. It says this, God is love. God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. God is love, and I began to think about that, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt so strong in my heart. It was like God saying, for me to say I love you would be to cheapen my love. I am love to you, and the very fact that I'm here means that you are loved immeasurably and infinitely more than you can ever imagine, and I have never left you. My presence is still with you. And that sent me on a journey, and I discovered apologetics and Ravi Zacharias and William Lane Craig, and I was able to strengthen my faith with all these resources. And I encourage you, if you are doubting your faith, there's so many resources out there. 
uh, that I could point you to. And, and I will continue to ask you to search. And, you know, there's so many questions out there in culture, like, well, does science disprove God and this and that? And, again, there are great reasons for all that. But I really think it comes down to that moment that I had that maybe many of you had is, is God really there? In those times of trouble, in the times of suffering, and you don't hear a response, that's when the rubber meets the road, and we wonder what's going on. I was listening to a podcast the other day between these two atheists. I don't recommend doing this. Don't do it. But I did it. And this podcast between these two atheists, one is is an all-time atheist, one grew up in the faith and left, and he's a New Testament scholar who's an atheist. You figure that one out. But... They were talking for two hours about the New Testament and all the issues with it and all that, and they got to the end of the two-hour podcast, and one asked the other, so why did you leave the faith? Was it all the science? Was it all the discrepancies? What was it? He said, no, I didn't have any issue with that. I just couldn't reconcile why there's so much suffering in the world, and there can be an all-loving God that exists. I couldn't reconcile that. And this is one of the oldest questions that have existed. Back to the philosophers of ancient Greece, if there's an all-loving, all-powerful God, then why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? That moment is, is God really there? And so that is the question we're going to try and tackle today. And you might, if you look it up, it's called the problem of suffering. This is the philosophical problem of suffering. And I want to tell you that no other religion or worldview really tries to tackle this issue. If you go to the Far East and you have Hinduism and Buddhism, it's just, well, you did something in your past life and that's why bad stuff happens now. If you're a Muslim and you believe in Islam, it's inshallah, it's whatever God wills. We don't look for an answer, we just accept it. If you're an atheist or agnostic, there's really no purpose in suffering. It's just the blind forces of nature. It's just natural selection and evolution. And so it's just what happens and there's no answer. The Judeo-Christian worldview is the only one that can give meaning to it and tries to give you an answer for it. Why is there so much evil in the world? And so let me also point to you, there's, there's so many books on this topic, and I've read a number of them over the past couple of years, and so I want to encourage you. This is in the message notes online and in the app. There's great books by C.S. Lewis about the problem of pain and Ravi Zacharias about why suffering. Again, great books on the topic. I encourage you, check out the message notes and read these. That's where much of this is coming from. And I even made you a YouTube playlist. Would you believe that? And so if you go to the message notes, I have a YouTube playlist Uh, with a lot of those authors actually talking about this problem. So I encourage you to look at that. So if we're going to talk about the problem of suffering, we have to attack it two different ways. We have to talk about the intellectual problem of suffering and the emotional problem of suffering. The intellectual side is I can't reconcile an all-loving, all-powerful God and suffering existing in the same world. How can I reconcile that philosophically? That's the intellectual problem. And then there's the emotional problem. That when you are in the midst of tragedy and you're in the midst of experiencing something really bad, how can I deal with this feeling I have towards God? And one more disclaimer before we jump into this. I want to be clear. I believe that God exists today and he still performs miracles today. I believe God heals today and he is able to heal any disease or sickness that you ever may experience. And if, I, if disease ever hits my family with my kids or my wife, I'm calling everybody. I'm calling Pastor Greg. I'm calling Pastor Jonas. I'm calling Pastor Fiona. I'm calling Pastor Oscar. I'm flying him in from Zambia. I'm calling everybody. I'm getting everybody, and we're going to pray for as long as it takes. This is not a message to tell you to give up praying for healing. God heals even today. And I also encourage you. You do not identify with what you are suffering with. 
God has not inflicted you with something for his glory. He will bring you through it for his glory. Amen? The Bible doesn't say rejoice for sufferings. It says rejoice in suffering. You know, just a year or so ago, my eldest son, he started developing some food allergies and some food sensitivities. And we didn't know what was going on. And so we went through a two-year process and we prayed fervently for healing, and we also prayed for wisdom. We asked God, what can we do in the natural? What can we do in the spiritual? We attacked it from every which way, and we did. We called elders of a church and we prayed, and God has brought him through it, and we've learned so much through the process. And sometime God might be doing something through you and in you, maybe even for someone else later down the road. So we don't rejoice for it, but we rejoice in it. Amen. So... Let's talk about the intellectual problem of pain and suffering. And the question really boils down to this. I've said it before. Can a loving, all-powerful God exist in the same world as all this pain and suffering that we see? Three quick points. Number one, suffering was not a part of God's original design. We have to understand that God did not create this world so that suffering could exist. It is an outworking of sin being introduced. God's original design was not to include pain and suffering. And let's look at scripture to see. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. If we go to the very beginning of the Bible, after God creates all of creation in the six days, he says this, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Evening came and then morning in the sixth day. It was very good. And again, when he is saying this, when God is saying it was very good, sin had not entered Death and sickness had not entered. It was all good then. And then what happens? Left to our own devices and the ability to choose and rebel, human beings did just that. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17, this is the account of the fall. After Adam and Eve eat the fruit, it says this. God said to Adam, because you disobeyed my command, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Florida will be riddled with mosquitoes. Oh, I'm sorry, that's... I was reading from the FLIV, the Florida-inspired version. But it says, you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. You see, once sin enters the world, now pain, suffering, and even death. And this is why when we see the suffering in the world or we see in the news or on social media what's happening in other countries, we have this feeling inside and it ought not be this way. This ought not be happening. This shouldn't be this way. And that is because it was not God's original intent. And we are created in God's image, and we see that it ought not be this way. But in the end of the Bible, God promises that it will return to this ideal. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 through 5, it says this. God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. When God began his grand design, pain and suffering was not there. And when he comes back one day, it will leave forever. No more pain, suffering, or death. So number one, pain and suffering was not a part of God's original design. And number two, as we deal with this logical problem of suffering, we have to talk about free will. Now, free will, again, is something only in theism. I believe we have free will because we have a soul and a conscience. 
If you look at the atheist and agnostic worldview, honestly, it's just molecules and atoms reacting to the environment around them, and free will is just an illusion. We're all just subject to our DNA, and we do whatever that we're programmed to do. But in the theist worldview, in the Judeo-Christian worldview, we believe that God has given us a soul and the ability to choose, and we have free will. And there's so many verses that point to this. I just want to give you a few. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, You were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. You see, we have freedom to choose. John 7, verse 17, it says, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Again, it is your choice to do the will of God. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, choose you this day whom you will serve. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. Again, you can open the door or choose to keep it shut. And finally, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Over and over again, we see this ability to choose weave throughout scripture. I believe it confirms that we have free will. Now, I'm going to ask you a trick question, okay? Everybody hear me? It's a trick question, so don't feel bad. And I've done this in a previous message too, but here's the question. Can God do anything? Mixed, mixed answers, okay? It's a trick question, so don't feel bad. So let me ask you this. Can God lie? No. Can God cheat? No. And it's not because he chooses not to. It's because it is in the very nature and character of God, he is unable to lie. He cannot do it. Now let me ask you this different question. If you go to college and you take a philosophy course today, the teacher will probably ask this question and feel very prideful about it, but he'll say, can God create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? No. Honestly, it's just a dumb question. That's the bottom line. It would be like asking, can God create a married bachelor? No. Can God create a four-sided circle? No. No, God doesn't break the rules of logic. And so if he has really given human beings free will, let me ask you this question. Can God force someone to freely choose something? No. He cannot force you to freely choose something. So what does that mean for us today? That means when a decision is made by a human being with their free will and it hurts someone else or maybe it's even self-destructive, God has given us that ability through free will. That means when you pick up your phone and try to text your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, you really shouldn't be texting. He doesn't supernaturally make your send button stop working. He allows you to do it. Every decision that we make throughout our lives, it's free will. And if you extrapolate that through all the decisions throughout history, God does not break the paradigm. He has given us free will, and that means it creates an opportunity for suffering. If you watch any Netflix documentary on food, there's plenty of them. You can see all the decisions made, maybe driven by greed or desire for money, and how that affects the food and how that might filter down to sickness and disease. All these choices freely made by human beings, so much of the suffering we see today comes even just from that. He even gives you the free will to reject Jesus Christ and his salvation. He won't make you serve him. He gives you that choice.
If you want to learn more about this, I want to point you to a philosopher. His name is Alvin Plantinga. He's a 2017 Templeton Prize-winning philosopher. He's done tremendous work in this area. But his biography basically says this. Planting counters that in a world with free creatures, God cannot determine their behavior. So even an omnipotent God might not be able to create a world where all creatures will freely choose to do good. Its final version in God, Freedom, and Evil is now almost universally recognized as having laid to rest the logical problem of evil against theism. So what is that saying? With a world with free will exists where God has created these conditions, it is more than possible that there will be pain and suffering in this world. And so this logical problem begins to be answered. Number one, suffering was not part of God's intention. Number two, free will exists and has the potential to bring that pain and suffering. And number three, when we look at the logical problem of evil, we need to talk about eternity. I believe the Bible talks about eternity as a very real thing. While these bodies may pass away one day, our soul will live on. And where it goes after we die has everything to do with what we do in this life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. And so what we choose to do with Jesus Christ in this life has everything to do with where we spend eternity. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. And so I have this hourglass here. I had three people say, days of our lives. <laughs> I never watched it, but anyway. When you see this hourglass, I want you to think, this is your life. It is temporary. There's only been two that's been taken up in chariots of fires. Most of us don't get that exit. But we have a limited amount of time. What will we do with Jesus? If it is our free choice, I want you to consider, if there is something in this life that just might nudge us to seek God, that just might make us lean on his strength, that just might push us to seek for Jesus Christ, might he allow something to happen so we would find him, so that in this life we can choose to be with him for eternity. In The Problem of Pain, the book by C.S. Lewis that I mentioned before, C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, two quick illustrations for this point. Let me ask you, who just loves going to the dentist? Who just cannot wait? I see a kid back there. Amen, brother. <laughs> South Shore, Plant City, you love going to the dentist. No, no, no one raises their hand. Why? Why do we not like going to the dentist? Because we know they're going to tell us something's going on in the mouth, right? It's a shameful experience. They say cavity, root canal, and probably some pain involved. Am I right? Why do we subject ourselves to that pain knowing how much it's going to hurt? It's because we know if we don't experience that pain then, there's so much greater pain that will happen later. And so we'll take the root canal so that we don't lose the tooth later, right? And let me use this illustration too. Imagine with me that there is a deadly plague coming across the United States of America. This plague has a 100% mortality rate. And there is a 100% chance that you, will con that you will catch it. It is extremely contagious. It is unstoppable, and it is coming. But there is a vaccine. And this vaccine, if you take it, you will be completely immu immune. You will not experience the plague at all. You will be totally safe. But here's the caveat. If you take this vaccine for 24 hours, you will be in excruciating pain. 
you will have fevers and sweats and you won't be able to sleep. And for 24 hours, it will be a terrible experience. But after that, you will be completely safe and the plague won't touch you. How many of you would take that vaccine? How many of you would give your children that vaccine to protect them? Even if they can't understand why they're experiencing that pain in the moment, would we not still do it to protect them? Even if they're too young to understand, even though they can't see the long picture, even though they don't understand what you're protecting them from, you would still allow them to feel it to protect them from something later. I'm telling you that sin is a scourge that came across the world, and it touches everyone. We are all guilty. And if there's something in this life that will wake us up and say, God, I need you, the temporary pain we feel in this life will spare us so much for eternity. In those two days where Mary and Martha were wondering where Jesus was, and even in your periods where you're not sure why something is happening, I want you to remember, God may be doing something in you, God may be doing something through you, and God may be doing something to bring others for his glory and for eternity. Now, can God exist and suffering exist? I think so. I think we've answered that. So now let's go finally to the emotional problem. What do we do with our feelings? What do we do when we don't know what's going on and we're not sure how to approach God? Maybe you're asking these questions. God, why are you allowing this? What is the purpose of this? Are you there? Do you care? Number one, I would encourage you, be honest with God. Give him your feelings. Tell him what you are feeling. If you are frustrated, if you are angry, go to God. If you read through the Psalms, King David did this all the time. As you read the Psalms straight through, he's actually kind of whiny all the time. But even in those moments where he is just experiencing terrible things, he is honest with God. I'm just going to read a few verses from Psalm chapter 73. This is King David talking. And again, I identify with this, this sentiment. David says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Did I purify my, my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Now watch this. Until I entered God's sanctuary. And then I understood their destiny and eternity. And David turns around and says this, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. What do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Amen. So I encourage you, go to God in these times. Number two, we can understand that Jesus understands our pain. Jesus is well aware of what it feels like to whatever it is that you are going through. Remember the verse in Laz from the story of Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He understands. And even as he was going to the cross, before he goes, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And in Luke chapter 22, he says this. Then Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. 
But being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. How much anguish was Jesus going through? And he knew. He knew he had to go to the cross for the salvation of the world. And even then, he was praying. And again, I think this is an encouragement to us. No matter what you are going through, continue to pray. Continue to press in. Do not flee God looking for it somewhere else. Run to him. Like we sang in the worship service, run to the Father, and he will be there for you. And finally, I want to encourage you, God's silence is not his absence. God's silence is not his absence. While you may not be hearing his voice or hearing a direction, that does not mean that his presence is not with you everywhere you go. There's this poem. This is written during the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. Inside a concentration camp, a Jewish person wrote this on a wall. The poem says, I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. I believe in love, even when feeling it not. And I believe in God, even when God is silent. I believe in God, even when God is silent. And finally, one last illustration. A woman named Annie Johnson Flint. She was born in the year 1866. Her biological parents died soon after she was born at a very early age. Her adoptive parents died when she was in high school age. And she had debilitating arthritis from the early 20s. The doctor said she would be an invalid her entire life. But she lived to the age 66, and she knew God her entire life. She gave her life to Jesus back when she was about 9 or 10 years old and never wavered in her faith. And even in the midst of her suffering, she would write poems. And those poems then later became hymns. And I want to read one for you now. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He is with you. His grace is abundant. Remember, as you are going trials, that Jesus suffered the greatest of all. Jesus subjected himself onto the cross because he knew he had eternity in mind and he was doing it for you and for you and for you. If you would, I would like to pray together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you are going a time or a season in your life where you are experiencing that, that pain and that suffering and you're not sure what to do with it and how to deal with it, I want to pray over you. Could you raise your hand if you're going through one of those times in your life? I just want to pray with you. Keep your hands up just for a moment. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you see the hands reaching towards you even right now. They may not understand what's going on. They may not see the end. But Father, I begin that, I pray you begin to reveal what you have in store. Reveal the victory that you have in store. But most of all, I pray that your presence and your Holy Spirit guide them and comfort them even now. In the Bible, it says the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. And I pray that you feel his presence everywhere you go, every minute of the day. And while you may not hear an answer, I pray that you feel his presence no matter what. And that during this time that you run to him, not run away, but run to the Father. And you can seek his grace and mercy. You can put your hands down. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed still, I want to not let this moment pass. Maybe you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. 
And Jesus went to that cross for the salvation of all. And it is your free will and your free choice, even today, to make a decision to follow him. And we can do that very easily, simply together. We're just gonna pray a simple prayer. Nothing special about the words that we say, it's the posture of your heart. It's you just ready to say, God, I am willing to follow you even now. So if you would, everyone is going to repeat so you don't feel alone, we're gonna repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I want to serve you every day of my life. Come into my heart. Now in this moment, I just want you, if that was you, if you were praying that for the first time or maybe your story was similar to mine, that you grew up in church and and you feel like I, I need to come back. I'm ready to rededicate my life. I'm gonna ask that you raise your hand on the count of three and it's not gonna make you do anything, not gonna make you go anywhere, but just so that we can see and we can agree with you. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if that was you and if you prayed that prayer for the first time, and you're giving your life to Christ. On the count of three, just slip up your hand quietly. One, two, three. If that's you, would you raise your hand now? No one looking around. If that was you, let's see the hands. Amen, amen. Would you look up here and celebrate with those who gave their life to Christ? What a tremendous blessing. So awesome. Praise God. If you would stand with me, service is almost over, but before we do, we want to invite everyone. There are prayer partners up here at the altar. And if you have a need, if you're going through that time in your life, there are so many hands who need a prayer for, the, for that time in your life. You're invited. You can come up. We're going to sing the song, Run to the Father, right? I love that song. So now's your time. Come to the altar, pray, seek his face. And if you gave your life to Christ, we would love to agree with you as well and help you in your next steps in that walk. We're going to sing a quick chorus, and then Pastor Wade will be out to close the service.